into the morbid forest. Settle down, settle down now everyone. I know we're all giddy, but we'll get all packed up so we'll be ready for the morning. So we'll be ready to head on out on our way. All right, let's see now. Let me just get a quick head count. Okay, one, two, yes, I see you. Four, and five, seven, and oh! Did you wander off from your original Group. Oh, with your different uniform, how cute. Come on in, don't be shy, don't worry. You'll be our extra special little camper. Ranger Harper here to get you settled in and on the right track with us for the morning. Okay guys, why don't we all gather up and I'll tell you guys a nice camp story before it lights out, okay? Gather around, gather around. All right, my little travelers. This one's called Coming up, roses. My leg bounced up and down, shivering the chair next to me as I sat in the bustling police station lobby. The two wrapped in metallic harmony, spiking my nerves with each beat. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe... Maybe I misunderstood. Also, why had I waited so long to do something about it? I chastised myself for my decisions. Stupid, stupid, stupid. So, very stupid. For such a small town, the beehive buzz of the lobby was stifling. The clerk at the desk was nice enough, offering a lucid grin as she promised somebody would be with me shortly. Shortly was 35 minutes ago. I was in the process of convincing myself to just get up and leave. To simply drive home, make myself some tea, and tuck everything neatly away in a mental box and bury it deep within my mind when a voice called my name. Excuse me, Mrs. Danvers? My legs stopped jangling and I turned my attention to a well-built man in a saggy stained suit. The sight of him gave me pause long enough for me to wage if this was still a worthy cause. He extended his hand, filling my awkward silence with his masculine energies. I'm Detective Allen. I hear you want to speak with someone about a disappearance. Detective? I look at his hand, and then his face. Again, two things about the detective did not match. I knew that once I slipped my small hand into his large one, the pads of my fingertips would be graded against years of hard work not a mere pencil pusher's hands. His face was alternatively young, possibly younger than myself. He was handsome in a rugged cowboy type of way, 
all barbed curves and a gleaming, tensioned smile. Re-establishing my bearings, I stood and took his hand, the other working to press my messenger bag protectively to my chest. Please, call me Anna. As expected, his hands were beyond the help of Avino. He directed me behind a small barrier that separates the cops from the public to an old oak desk that looked identical to five other old oaks in the room. He was obviously a neat man, not a junk food wrapper or report out of order. I liked him instantly. Please, have a seat. I shake my head. I didn't want to stay long. Just turn them over and be done with it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, I started, my voice coming out muted against the hive. I tried to take a breath. You didn't do anything wrong, remember? I just wanted to turn these into you and hopefully you'll know what to do with them. I finished, thrusting the bag towards him. He leaned away as if the bag were a bomb. It might as well have been. We stood in limbo for a breath, hoping my pleading eyes were enough for him to cave and take the bag. They were. The bag slides from my hands to his, and I nearly sagged to the floor. If you have any questions, I've put my name and number on a card in the front pocket. I turn on my heels and haphazardly make my way towards the front of the station. I think Detective Allen called my name, but I couldn't hear him over the roar in my ears. Tea. It was definitely time for some tea. August 21st, 2015. Dear Anna, I was beyond thrilled your letter came through the post the other day. Of course I remember you. After all, it was my elementary school assignment that brought us together. That seems like a lifetime ago. I think the last time we spoke was your senior year of college. When I saw your name on the return address, I thought I was going crazy. Living alone up here in the old mountains, we'll do that to ya. How are your folks? And did you move out of your town to New York like you wanted? To become a screenwriter, correct? I won't keep you long, but thank you again for bringing me down memory lane. Hope to hear from you soon. Your friend, Meredith. September 14th, 2015. Dear Anna, what a lovely surprise seeing your letter from you again so soon. I'm sorry to hear about your mother. I may not have known her, but she sounded like a kind woman. Cancer will get us all one day. At least that's what my doctor says when I manage to see him. I don't blame you for leaving New York City and moving back home. For starters, I'm sure your father was happy for the company, but I just never liked big cities. Too noisy. Not enough air, in my opinion. And people, don't get me started, ruder than a bull without a mate. And yes, you asked me about me and my mountains. The old gals and gents keep me company. They may not speak words, but their voices whisper to me on the spring days. You cannot have greener or more picturesque place than my home. The cabin is modest, although I did get a satellite TV recently. That gives me my people fix, I suppose. Like I said, I don't think I am much for people anymore. But you, you, my dear, will always have a special place in my heart. 
Tell me more about the school plays you plan to put on at your school. Kids still can't be doing Romeo and Juliet anymore, can they? Your friend, Meredith. December 1st, 2015. Dear Anna, excuse the tardiness of my letter. Once the snow starts sticking here, it becomes harder and harder to get down the mountain and into town. Had to nearly rebuild one of the ATVs because my truck just wouldn't start. Couldn't figure out for the life of me what was going on with it. But that thing is old, <laughs> like myself, and probably couldn't fathom moving much anymore. Antigone! Now there's a play you don't hear too often about. I don't know why Antigone had to die. I suppose it wouldn't be a tragedy if she did. A vengeful woman would have been more interesting. You'll have to tell me how opening night goes. I'm sure with your talents and direction, the kids will have the theater packed to the rafters. No love interest for me at the moment. There was a marriage or two, um, a few boyfriends, but no one stuck. I thought for a time to go the other way, find myself a beautiful woman, but in the end, I just couldn't see myself with a woman. Not that there's anything wrong with being a lesbian. It's just not for me. Not, not just a shoe to try on, but a part I wasn't born with. I hope I didn't stick my foot in my mouth. Don't want to lose you as a friend before we even restarted. What about yourself? Boyfriends or girlfriends? Someday I still wish I had someone. Instead, I just have myself and my roses and the garden in the spring. Looking forward to hearing from you. Your friend, Meredith. January 30th, 2016. Dear Anna, Happy New Year, my friend. Sorry for the lateness of my letter once again. I took a bit of a spill and my knee can't quite take the ride down the mountain. I'm sure it will heal fine, but just not as fast as when I was young and spry. I'm ecstatic to hear you aren't as unlucky in love as I am. But you know, we can always become golden girls in our 60s. Because let's face it, men just don't deserve women like us. Either that, or the right one hasn't come along yet, in my case. But you, you potentially have your someone. As long as they are a good someone. Tell me more about him. Is he from the same town or nearby? Have you met his folks yet? How about a decent job? Can't have my girl dating some slouch, am I right? Hopefully he doesn't slowly pick you apart like most partners do. That's in my experience. I'm too much of a rough and rugged type. But when you live in the mountains, how else are you supposed to be? Too independent, as the young folks would say. I'm not for the smothering type either. Not for the cheating type either. Hopefully you won't have to experience that type of love. Too toxic, like a parasite in your garden. Sort of like my first husband, Paul. I met him shortly after my first massive heartbreak. I wanted to just get away. So I packed everything, bought my land, and started making plans for the cabin. Paul was the contractor I hired to help. I'm handy enough, 
but there are some things out of my depth. And like hard work, hard love flowed between Paul and I. But that was exactly what it was. Hard. Hard. When a man only loves one thing above all else. Hard brown liquor. When I asked him to choose between me and the booze, he chose the booze. And I chose to sever the ties. God willing, you won't be put through such an experience. If not, I'll have to come and teach that man of yours a lesson. But that's what friends are for, right? Oh, and your play. It sounded so lovely. I truly wish I could have been there to see your vision come to life. You gave those kids something that will stick with them for a lifetime. Is there a spring performance already in the works to add to your magnum opus? Your friend, Meredith. February 26th, 2016. Dear Anna, so good to see your letter in the post. The postman has even commented how often I come to town now. Seems like I am the town's recluse. No plans yet for the next play? Well, I'll have to help you think of an idea for your kiddos. Maybe even new piece? You are talented enough after all. Possibly something about new beginnings? For spring and all? And don't you worry about my last musings. I was just being overprotective friend. Of course, I would never, never harm your love. As long as he does right by you. He has nothing to fear. He does sound like quite the handsome and sophisticated man. Not like the old billy goats around these parts. Thank you for your kind words about Paul. He was, as you put it, a dumbass. After him, I thought I would never date again. To pass the time, I took up gardening, which I mentioned to you before. How funny do you think it is for a field of roses to bloom among wildflowers? Pretty hysterical if you ask me. You would think that the land here isn't supple enough for a fragile beauty such as that. And yet, with a little innovation and soil treatment, you can make anything grow anywhere you please. You have to come and see it sometime. See the roses in full bloom, as well as my amazing vegetable garden and a small apple sprucing I have going. Your friend, Meredith. April 8th, 2016. Dear Anna, my sweet friend, I almost became worried that something awful happened to you. I wish for the first time that I had a phone at the cabin so I could have checked on you. I'm glad to hear you're okay, but heartbroken that you are not entirely well. That bastard. If I were any closer, he would get more than one piece of my mind. There is no shivery left, is there? I told you to mind that eye of his. Reminds me of Roger, my second husband. A wolf in sheep's clothing like no other. You know, back in Europe in the early centuries, wolves were hunted openly. And if I had my way, every modern day male wolf would be hunted down and skinned for their hides. I'm sorry if that's too crass, but it just 
boils my blood the way men think they can treat a woman. Roger was the worst of them. He would find his way to the cabin after doing God knows what with God knows who in town, smelling like a brothel nearly every night, and then having the audacity to force relationships with me. No, sir. I nip that in the bud real fast. It is quite amazing what nature will provide you when you're desperate enough and need a solution. Don't you worry, my dear. I'm always here for you. Your friend, Meredith. May 16th, 2016. Dear Anna, I'm glad to read how strong you are becoming out of this whole situation, as well as glad to hear you are working out things with your love. I'm sorry if my previous letter was a tad ill-toned. I am only interested in looking out for your best interest. Us lonely golden girls must stick together, right? Trust each other through thick and thin, as they say. I've included a few pressed roses from my garden as they are starting to bloom. A small piece of myself to have with you. Your friend, Meredith. July 2nd, 2016. Dear Anna, excuse the tardiness of my letter. The mountain is hot and there is so much work to be done around the cabin. I simply lost track of time. So happy that you love the rose, as well as your shared sentiment of our kinship. In the name of that kinship, I feel I must express something to you, especially after you shared that you think your boyfriend is being unfaithful yet again. Did you know that once a tree is infested with rot and disease, it is nearly impossible to save it? Best to just chop it down and start over, then go through the process of saving something that is already dead. Now, I have been thinking constantly about your little issue and the ways it can be solved. First, I enclosed another gift for you from my mountain garden a few sprigs of dried hemlock, and a few apple seeds. While they're traditionally for planting, that isn't the intent purpose of this gift. Did you know that in a few years, well, perhaps a few hundred years, men will be a lost species? I read that in a science magazine at the doctor's office a number of years ago. The main theory of the article stated that women will evolve to be asexual, leading to self-reproduction. I'm sure a lot of women would have voted for that ability immediately. Because honestly, men have done nothing but beaten and bruised us all since birthed onto this planet. And yet, we still are required to worship them like the pharaohs they wish themselves to be. Every man I have ever encountered has only cared for one thing, themselves. Sure, we hold on a shred of hope that you are the one to change them, that you are the one that will be better for them. These are just thoughts of a wishful girl who know nothing of the true demons of the world. And let me tell you, Anna, I know the demons well. Take your situation, for example. 
Now, don't get upset, but we are friends after all, and friends sometimes need to be harsh with one another, yes? You should have kicked him to the curb the first time you found out he was stepping out on you. But no matter the skills of the charmer, a snake will always bite. Well, I can be venomous too. Remember I told you months ago why I moved to the mountains? And while bad men followed me, I did not allow them to define who I am. Paul, for all his faults, is what I think about the most. When he wasn't as lit as a lightning bug in June, he was sweet and thoughtful. When we parted, it was nearly poetic. Roger, on the other hand, could make the devil blush. He could talk the panties off a nun given the chance. His downfall was his gluttonous behavior. That man would eat anything you set in front of him with not so much as a glance your way or a thank you. He'd eat the rind off an orange just to get to the pulpy nectar faster, more efficient. It made my job easier. Did you know that hemlock can be mistaken for parsley or parsnip in the wild? It does grow in abundance on my mountain, and I have become extremely good at spotting its white flowery head among my vegetables when I am out weeding. Weeds really, if you ask any advanced gardener, they can cause anything from paralysis to respiratory or heart failure, all of which was too good for my Roger. Our relationship was a tumultuous one and was deserving of such an ending. When he didn't wake for over an hour, I thought I'd given him too much. After all, I only sprinkled some on top as garnish for his spaghetti. Turns out, his body locked up on him, and he was truly trapped inside his own body. He was a son of a bitch to move. All that fat really had built itself into every nook and cranny of that man's orifices. Now the difficult part was balancing out his punishment. For every name he mistakenly called me in bed, for all the Mary Lou's and Danielle's and Tracy's he tricked into thinking he was just another good guy stuck in a loveless marriage, I wanted him to suffer in their names over and over. And so I used yet another product of nature to help in my justice. Apple seeds, just like the ones I sent you, when crushed, release cyanide. And while we both know a human can't survive that, how many do you think it takes to kill a person? Certainly if someone swallowed one by accident, it wouldn't be enough. 200? 200 is the magic number it took to drop my Roger among my roses. Of course, I took my time in discovering this little known fact. Like I said, he needed to suffer for every woman before and between me. It was an arduous task. The combination of the hemlock paralyzing him enough so he could not move mixed with the pure agony I watched each day and night was pure magic. 
in the end, his body simply locked down on me, which I'm sure he thought was a relief. That man was basically a corpse in the end. He was so stiff from not moving for months at a time, but his eyes never died. And they told me exactly what he was feeling, day in and day out. And that was enough to keep me going instead of ending it too soon. That final dose I had to inject myself. I made myself a nice celebratory pie out of the remaining parts of the apples I used to dose him. I sat across from him at our dinner table that final night. I wore my best dress, which I could tell you hadn't seen the outside of my closet since I moved into that cabin all those years ago. I made sure he looked presentable, because after all, it may have been his dying day but you can still look presentable on your last day on Earth. At first, when I administered his final dose, I thought it was yet another too low dose because nothing happened at first. We just sat across from one another, me enjoying my freshly baked pie and him fixing me with his hateful glare I had grown so accustomed to. However, once the bubbles began to foam from his mouth, I knew I had the right amount. Those bubbles almost had the same tint as my bright red apples too. His convulsion and the crispy goo taste of my perfectly baked pie was the most glorious ending to our affair. Brought this, brought this old gal to tears. I tell you, Anna. It feels so good to finally have someone to confide in this about. Don't get me wrong, the mountain has always provided and been there for me in my loneliest times. But it is nice just to have another lonely girl by my side. Now, if you need me to explain how to break everything down, don't hesitate to ask. Your friend, Meredith. My cell phone buzzed violently on the counter and I nearly jumped out of my skin. By some miracle, the teacup cradled in my hands didn't crash to the floor in a myriad of pieces. It would be a good metaphor for my life at the moment. Setting the now cold cup of tea on the counter, I dashed to grab the device before it went to voicemail. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Danvers. Detective Allen here. My ears prickle at the sound of the detective's husky voice. He probably wanted me to come in for questioning. Yes, hello, detective. Um, what can I help you with? I try to sound unaffected by his call when in reality, my knees are clattering wildly together. Nervous habits really are hard to break. First, I want to thank you for bringing in those letters. You've done the right thing here. We partnered with Detroit County Police Department on the missing persons cases. Now, Mrs. Danvers. I interrupt him. Anna, please. I could hear the slight smile in his voice as he continued. <laughs> Anna, okay. Now, Anna, are you sure those are all the letters you have? Did you and this Meredith woman speak on the phone or have any other means of communication? No, it was just the letters, Detective. Jacob, my, my first name is Jacob. It was his turn to interrupt me. I laughed slightly and turned my face to the window above the sink that looks out to my modest backyard. No, Jacob. 
Everything I had from Meredith was in the messenger bag I gave you a few weeks ago. Why do you ask? Was... Was Paul buried there too? My eyes travel over the yard I've come to adore over the years since moving back home. I really should have done more with it. Jacob pauses for a moment, my stomach tumbling over itself every second he doesn't speak. Does... Does he know more than he's willing to tell me? Anna, I, uh, I don't know how else to tell you this, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I think it might be best if we place you under witness protection. At this point, we may even have to get the FBI involved. FBI? For one, maybe two murders? I ask, completely stunned. No, not, not one or two. More like 23. I let his words sink in my eyes finally landing on the freshly disturbed mound of earth in the corner of my yard. My heart flutters at the implications of leaving it behind. But perhaps, perhaps I will have new circumstances to grow my roses wherever I may end up. This has been a Morbid Forest production. Today's tale was titled, Coming Up Roses, written by Naomi Richards, and narrated by Sean Moreau and Naomi Richards. Follow us on Instagram at The Morbid Forest. And hey, are you also looking for a few new podcasts to listen to? Why don't you check out Ghost Lore of Hawaii, A Paranormal Paradise. When most people think of Hawaii, they imagine sand, surf, and the aloha spirit but spirits of different kind may occupy the Hawaiian Islands. Most people visiting the islands don't know of Hawaii's haunted history, want to learn of the haunted hotels and the restless spirits that still roam the grounds, or why whistling at night attracts spirits of the dead. Join Uncle Jed as he discovers these infamous tales with you on Ghost Lore of Hawaii, Paranormal Paradise. And hey, Thanks for listening and taking a chance on us. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time, travelers, on The Morbid Forest.